welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I want to begin reading in verse 17. Paul says, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord and that my, I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he has, was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, all, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, and when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Uh, husband and wife were driving along, and they got into an argument, pretty heated argument. After they both got quiet for a while, the husband began to feel a little ashamed of himself, and he looked out in a pasture as they were driving by, and there were two horses pulling a load of hay up a hill. And he simply said, why can't we pull together like that up the hill of life? And she said, the reason we can't pull up the hill like a couple of horses is because one of us is a donkey. <laughs> Occasionally, we're going to act like that to someone else. Now, did you know when it comes to a church, church can be really messy. All kinds of people in church. Some... Some can be difficult. It depends on the day. All of us at some point in our life have been difficult. Let's just get that out in the open. Now, we'll tell you that when you're reading through Philippians, especially when you're preaching through it, you come to this passage, you think, well, why in the world is this right here? After all, most of us are very interested in knowing what the Scripture has to say and how that can apply to us. And, and Paul begins the letter to the Philippians talking about how God is using him as partners in the gospel. And he talks about even though some were preaching for the wrong motives, that God, that the gospel was still being shared. And then he talked about how the furtherance of gospel was happening even in his imprisonment. And then he, he talks about letting our conduct be worthy of the 
gospel, and he uses Jesus as an example of humility. And, and, then, and then last week, we, we looked at working out our own salvation, not working for our salvation, but working it out. And then right in the middle of that, you've got a travel itinerary. And, and one commentator said, nobody's favorite verse ever came out of this particular passage right here. Because you will probably look at it and want to skip over it. Like, well, there's nothing here for me. What, what, what is in here that I can use for me? And if you were reading through Philippians, you'd probably come to this and just start skimming it. Because of where it's located, most of the time Paul would put his travel plans at the end of a letter. There are some exceptions, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, but most of the time he put them at the end of the letter. I hope to come to you soon or I'm going to send Tychicus to see you at the end of Colossian letter and so forth. But here is a travel itinerary right in the middle of this letter and you think, well, why is it there? And you've got to ask, you've got to answer a couple of questions. Some people believe that because there is a travel itinerary for what I'm calling it there by Paul, that Paul actually wrote two letters to the Philippians. But I don't believe that's the case. I believe it's all one letter. So why is it right here? Well, for one thing, Paul did not have the opportunity like we have with email and cell phones and Facebook and FaceTime and Snapchat and all that stuff to be able to communicate with people. And he needed to communicate to the church in Philippi what some of the plans were and about Epaphroditus and about Timothy, which he was about to send Epaphroditus back to them sooner than later. And he was going to send Timothy to them later than sooner. But I believe that he put it here to illustrate what he's been talking about already. Some people that they knew who could illustrate just what a partner in the gospel really meant that he mentions in the first chapter. It's more than just travel plans. He's holding Timothy and Epaphroditus up as models now, they're not perfect, but he's saying to them, these guys exemplify what I've already told you up to this point. And so the person who would look at this passage and say, well, it seems kind of mundane. It seems kind of boring. Let me tell you something. The Christian life, most of the effective service for the Christian life and for the Lord's kingdom is not some mega conference with lots of fanfare and lots of glory. Most of the kingdom work is done day by day by day, and it may not seem like it's that exciting to other people. You need to understand that the most effective work for the kingdom of God may not even be noticed by the majority of people. And so, with that in mind, the normal Christian service, God normally meets us and uses us in ordinary Christian, in ordinary circumstances of life. Uh, there's three men mentioned here, and I believe they represent different aspects of the church and different aspects of the kingdom, but they're all co-laboring together. The first one's Paul. You see the concern for the church. He's the apostle. 
you see a genuine love, a genuine concern for the church. It goes without saying that most of you in here, if not all of you, would say, I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. I've committed my life to Christ. But what about your concern for the church? Now, obviously, you're concerned enough to be here today, and I appreciate that so much. But, but there are a lot of people who have the attitude, well, I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. They don't ever come. They never attend. They don't contribute with their life. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about all parts that they don't ever do anything for the church. Now, the church is not this building. The church is you and me. And we're one microcosm of the church of Jesus Christ on this earth. But you see a concern for Paul, I mean by Paul, for the church, and you see it in two, two different ways. First of all, in sacrifice. In verse 17, I'm being, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul uses the word, if I'm being offered, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. There were two kinds of offerings. There was a sin offering. That was when the lamb was slain and put on the altar, and that was to cover the sin of the people. And Jesus Christ, Paul said, Jesus covered, he made that sacrifice for us. Jesus died for our sin. Amen? You can agree with me there. But then he said the praise offering was the drink offering that was poured on that later, and wine in the Old Testament was one of the symbols for joy. And when they poured it on the hot coals of the sacrifice, immediately it would turn to steam, and it would be called a sweet-smelling aroma, as Paul called it, to God. And it was a way of praising God and saying, thank you for taking care of my sin, and I now gladly give you and serve you with my life. I give you my life. I, and, and you'll notice he says, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering. It was one of the last things on the offering. Now, in 2 Timothy, we know Paul was about to die. We know that he was about to be executed. He had already been tried and sentenced to death. And in that passage, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Well, here he doesn't know yet. We don't know... He's in jail. He's in prison, waiting trial probably. But he's saying, if I'm already being poured out, I'm still gladly give you all that I have. When you gave your life to Christ, you gave him everything. You know, we sometimes say, well, I ask Jesus into my heart. Well, that's another way of saying that's the control center of my life. You know, you can't live without your heart. I've met some people that I'm not sure had one, but you can't live without them. <laughs> Jesus, I'm, I'm giving you everything I have, all that I am, all my talents, all my abilities. I'm, I'm pouring that out as a sacrifice of praise to you. You know, worship is not just singing some songs. 
you really worship when you leave and you give and you serve the Lord with your life. Now, the other part in verse 24, you see, I know I've already alluded to it, is selfless service. He Verse 24 saying, but I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. While he was in prison, he was concerned for their well-being. He wasn't concerned about himself. He was thinking about the church. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, Paul said these words, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Today, around Lubbock, Texas, there will be a lot of churches that are meeting. And I pray that every one of them that is teaching the truth, the exclusivity of Jesus and the gospel, I pray they all flourish. We need them all. We're not in competition with anyone. There's no place for jealousy in the kingdom of God about churches doing well. Now, those that are not teaching the truth about Jesus Christ, I pray they close. But those who are lifting up God's word and especially Jesus Christ as the only way to be saved through faith and that not of works, I pray that they will flourish. And you find Paul sitting in jail, and all he's concerned about are the other churches. He was selfless in his service. The service that's going on, we, the serving the Lord, needs to be from an, a heart of selflessness. Now, the second person you see mentioned here is Timothy. Timothy is more of a pastor. He's more of a minister. And you find him caring for the Christians. The apostle is concerned about the church and the, and the spreading of the kingdom. Timothy comes back down on a, a more personal level in verse 19. He says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. And then verse 20 says, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Consider a couple of aspects of Timothy's example here. First is cooperation, no one like-minded in verse 20. The word means like-souled. The souls are knit together. Paul says that Timothy has the same desire for Christ's kingdom that he does. Where were all the others? Some of the others were preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition, out of envy, and Paul knows some other believers in Rome at this time, but, but no one's quite like Timothy in attitude, character, and closeness to the apostle. And it is always such a joy to have like-minded believers. Aren't you glad you're not the only one here? Aren't you glad that there are other people who want to see people saved, who want to uh, make an impact in the world, who want to be a lighthouse in the community, who want to see the world come to know Christ. Like-minded, there's a cooperation, and the reason we cooperate together is so that we can do more. We cooperate with other churches so that we can do more than by ourselves. But the other characteristic mentioned about Timothy is his caring. In verse 20, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for, I, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Timothy had a shepherd's heart. He didn't seek his own way. He genuinely cared about 
others. Just like Paul who said in 2 Corinthians 11 that he had concern for all the churches, Timothy had concern for the people. You've heard the, the old adage, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I hope you're in a group that cares about you. I read of a couple who moved from Los Angeles to North Dakota. And the lady took a school, uh, a classroom teacher position in a little two-room rural school. In February, in North Dakota, this particular day was minus 30 degrees. And a husband got a call from the school that said, your wife has not shown up for work. Well, he became frantic, and he called the state police. And about 10 minutes later, his wife called and said, I'm okay. I got stuck in a snowdrift. But it wasn't long when a farmer with his tractor pulled up and pulled me out of the snowdrift. And she said, when I thanked him, I asked him, how did you know I needed help? And he said, only the school bus and you go by here every day. School bus came by. You didn't. So I came looking for you. Now that is care for people. That's what Sunday school classes and life groups do in a church as big as ours. People will know about you and care. And when you're not there, say, hey, we miss you. Is everything okay? That, that kind. And Paul says that there are a lot of people who seek their own interests, their own way. But Timothy cares for you. Folks, listen, in a church, selfishness just destroys everything. In chapters 1 and 2, he mentions there were people who were preaching the gospel out of envy and rivalry, but Timothy's in the group that served Christ out of goodwill and love. Don't be like the two children who were fighting over a tricycle. And one of them said to the other, if one of us would get off of this tricycle, I'd have a lot more fun. Well, most people, they enter a congregation, they enter a church service, and they're thinking, well, I just wonder what they're going to give me today. I wonder how they're going to appease me today, or they're going to appeal to my senses. They better entertain me, or I'm not going to stay. And, and we've got this consumer attitude. And, and, but Paul says in verse 20, he says, Timothy cares about your interests. And in verse 21, the things of Christ. You can't have a church. You can't have a congregation that lifts up Christ if everybody's concerned about their own interests. We have a common bond here. We have a common denominator, Jesus Christ. But when you come in, you can't come in selfishly. We're too big. The family's too big. So when you come in saying, you know, Lord, help me to be unselfish today. How can I contribute to the needs of other people? How can I be a caring person? I can tell you one way you can do that is by speaking to other people. Seriously. If you see someone by themselves, 
I can promise you they're uncomfortable. Am I right? You know I'm right. If somebody's by themselves, just, just simply say, hey, I'm glad you're here. Tell me your name. My name is this, and you're in my seat. <laughs> I'm just seeing if you're listening. You scratch that last statement. You get the point, don't you? You got the point, don't you? Listen, this ought to be the most caring place on earth. And you can't know everybody, but you can at least be friendly to everybody. Before I came in here, I went over into the gym where the venue service is taking place while the remodeling is going on and just walked around. And it's amazing how many people are just sitting by themselves. And so I would just walk around and talk with them for a moment, and they always looked surprised. Selflessness, to care for other people. And then one other thing that was true about Timothy was his character. Look at verse 22, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. He mentions Timothy's proven character. Proven, which means it, it, it meets the test. It's tested, and it's accurate, and it's genuine. Servants of Jesus Christ is what he calls them in chapter 1, verse 1. Folks, listen, your, your life bears out not only Jesus, but it bears out the church that you're part of. People notice how you live. Don't, don't be like the story I heard, and I'm sure it's not true, but it makes a good point. A man had passed away, and they were at his funeral, and the wife and her two sons were seated on the front row. Songs had been sung. The preacher began to eulogize the departed brother. He was a man's man, and a few people said Amen. He was a man who worked hard, and a few people said amen. He was a man that the bottle could not control. A few people said amen. He was a man who loved his home and wife and children, and a few amens. He was a man who paid his debts and a man who told the truth. No amens. Finally, the wife couldn't stand it anymore and said, Son, go up there and see, look in that casket, see if that's your daddy that's in there. I love the account of the man who's walking on the boardwalk outside of Ocean City, New Jersey, and coming toward him, all he can see is one of those paper cones and about this much cotton candy on top of it. There's a six-year-old girl behind it, but he can't even see her. All he can see is the cotton candy coming to him. And he gets amused when he looks up and he sees this little girl. And, and he, he remarks to her, he said, how can a little girl like you eat all of that candy? And she said, without hesitation, you see, mister, I'm really much bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. <laughs> That's the way Christians are. We, the character that we have. Paul was concerned about the church. Timothy was concerned and caring for the people. And then you have Epaphroditus as mentioned. Epaphroditus is committed to the cause of Christ. He's a layman. It's interesting. His name comes from Aphrodite, 
Now, Aphrodite was a Greek mythological god who was very popular at this time, and it's very possible that his family could have worshipped Aphrodite, and he is a Gentile convert. He's come to Christ because Paul's led him to Christ. And what happens when Jesus transforms an idol worship? Worshiper, well, you can see right here because he mentions him several ways. And I want to tell you that if you were making a list of all the great men and women of the Bible, you probably wouldn't even put Epaphroditus on there. Don't confuse him with Epaphras. This mentioned in Colossians 4.12. But Epaphroditus brought Paul some financial help from the Philippian church. Paul's in prison. He's bringing an offering from the Philippian church to Rome, the chances are very good that he was accompanied by someone else. Because in 2 Corinthians, or, um, we, we saw 2 Corinthians 8, 16 to 22, you, you find another offering, and there were several of them that were, came together. And travel was dangerous, and so there were probably more than one of them. But something happened. We don't know what. We don't know if it was the flu or a fever. We just don't know, and we don't know when. But it's very possible that Epaphroditus got sick on the way to see Paul. So sick that they thought he was going to die. And it, it could have happened like this. He may have been en route, and he got sick. He was carrying money for them, and one of the companions with him may have gone back to Philippi to let them know, or, or maybe somebody going the other way. They met on the road, and they let them know. But somehow, the church found out that Epaphroditus was deathly sick. Now, there's several things about Epaphroditus that are worth noting. First of all is in verse 25, I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother. There's a common bond here. Brother, that word literally means from the same womb. It's a common origin, all on the same level. We're brothers, he said. Now, you know people on one of three levels, especially in the church. Level one is acceptance. To accept others means to receive them graciously, to relate to them kindly, even if you're not in harmony with them, and even if you don't approve everything they do, you just sort of accept one another and tolerate one another. Level two is the agreement level. To agree with others means to be in harmony with them. We not only accept them in kindness, but we share some common aim with them. But level three, that's the approval level. To approve of others means to deem them satisfactory, to be in complete agreement with them, but not only accept them in kindness and share some common aim, but we're in complete sync with them. And our minds and our hearts are knit together. And think what Paul is saying about Epaphroditus. He's saying that we've been so through so much. We are partners in the gospel. It's a perfect picture of a partner in the gospel. We've been adopted by the Father. You have a new relationship with God. Now listen, some of you, like me, grew up in the church. You've heard the term brother and sister so much. Sometimes we use it when we don't know somebody's name. But in calling him brother, 
he was really identifying with the identity change that had happened to both of them. Think about it. Saul of Tarsus was persecuting Christians, and he met Jesus. Epaphroditus came out of a pagan background, and he met Jesus. And it really is miraculous to think that, that you are now a brother and sister with each other because of Jesus. We're kin to one another because of Jesus. Don't take that for granted. Praise God for brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you go through hard times with a Christian brother or sister at your side, you form a deep relationship with them. And the more you're together, the deeper the relationship goes. Trust me, I know this. It's getting harder and harder for me to say goodbye. Funerals. For some reason, the older I get, the more my eyes leak. Especially when brothers and sisters are gone. And I know they're okay, but you just think, well, who's going to take their place? Who's going to fill their shoes? Who's going to take over what they were doing? There's a common bond. We have a common bond with one another. But there's also a common business. Look at verse 26. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should sorrow upon sorrow. And you'll also notice that he says in verse 25, my fellow worker, laborer. The real test of our faith is when we serve the Lord, we translate our theology into our biography, into our life. There's plenty of shirkers. Y'all know what a shirker is? Somebody doesn't do anything. They shirk their responsibility. Epaphroditus, Paul said, he's a common laborer. He's part of the same mission. I guess you, you might say he almost worked himself to death because he got sick and died. Uh, didn't die, but he almost died. Common fellow laborers. Listen, I am so thankful for people like you. You, you, what you do for the Lord may not be noticed by anyone else. Some, you know, Paul was out front. Paul was a spokesman for Christianity. He was out front. Epaphroditus is one of these laymen back here in the background. Nobody really notices what they're doing. At 7 o'clock, I didn't see any of y'all this morning at 7 o'clock. There were people out there driving carts for those of us who parked out there by the back fence so that you would have a closer place to park. They're driving carts. I was really grateful. I'm grateful every time I get out of that truck and they bring me up to the door. But that was a little after seven. There are people who prepare those Sunday school lessons that teach you. There are people who greet you at the door. There are people who hand out things. There are people helping right now to all the Church people have more energy than you and me combined called the preschool. <laughs> they're, they're, they're working in there right now so that you can sit in here with some semblance of sanity. 
There are people who shut up the place. There was a group of men that came yesterday, helped shut up the chairs for the venue service, made short order of it. I'm just telling you, to serve, to be a fellow worker doesn't mean you have to be able to sing or to teach or to speak. We couldn't make it without the tireless workers, the fellow servants, the fellow workers. And then there's also not only a common bond, brotherhood, there's also a common business, fellow laborers. There's a common battle. In verse 28, the, he took a risk. Paul called him in verse 25 a fellow soldier. You see that word again in 2 Timothy, a fellow soldier. He and Epaphroditus had been through a spiritual war together. It's alluded to in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Something about when you are in a battle together. You ask any veteran that was in a, a battle, the kind of camaraderie that those fellow soldiers have. Same in Christian circles, same in anything. You know, I've been told, Stephen Brown says that thoroughbred horses, when they're attacked, will circle up and face each other and kick outward at the enemy. Donkeys, on the other hand, face outward and kick each other. <laughs> that sounds like a church at times, doesn't it? We have a common enemy, Satan himself. And, and in the term co-worker, Paul sees himself as an equal. He says he's a fellow laborer. I, I'm not up here, and Epaphras is not down here. Listen, we all have different responsibilities, and I want you to understand that. The leaders of the church are not up here and everybody else down here. We struggle just like you do. Y'all may find that to be a surprise, but we struggle just like you do. I get mad just like you do. I drive just like you do. <laughs> Ask Laura. She just said amen. He even, it says in verse 30, not regarding his own life. He laid his life on the line. You know, Christians are the ones that will minister to the sick. They'll minister to the, the, the down and out. The word distress is used only one other place. When he said he was distressed, it's used in the Garden of Gethsemane where it said Jesus was distressed. Now I want you to notice a balance here quickly. Some people enjoy the fellowship so much that they, they don't share their faith. They're not fellow workers or fellow soldiers. They just fellowship. They, have, they become self-centered and exclusive in their faith. But then you can have those who are so involved in sharing their faith and doing things for God that they neglect the fellowship of other Christians. They're fellow workers, but not brothers or fellow soldiers. They become individualistic, sometimes eccentric in their faith. But then others spend all their time defending the faith against every enemy, whether it's real or supposed. They never have a positive word to say. They're always striking out at somebody or something. They don't enjoy the fellowship of the church because they're afraid they will share fellowship with someone who's not as pure in the faith as they are. 
They're fellow soldiers, but they're not brothers or fellow workers. As a result, they become angry and belligerent in their faith. You see, there's a balance here. You see this in Paul's life. In chapter 1, he's in the fellowship of the gospel with the brotherhood. In chapter 1, verse 12, the companion in the labor, the furtherance of the gospel. And then in chapter 1, verse 27, a fellow soldier of the faith of the gospel. This speaks of balance in the Christian life. There's a time for fellowship. There's a time to serve. There's a time to go to battle. It's all balanced. Now, fellow servants, three things quickly. They're willing to be sent anywhere. Don't put any limitations on God. When you gave your life to him, you said, Lord, here's my life. No matter what you want me to do, I'm going to do it. I'm amazed when people say, well, I'll serve God as long as it's in this geographic location. I used to kid when I was in seminary. Actually, I wasn't kidding. I said, Lord, I'll go anywhere you want me to go but West Texas. <laughs> I'm so thankful he changed my mind. Now I don't want to go anywhere but West Texas. Fellow servants are willing to serve anyone. Paphroditus served the Philippian church, but he was willing to go and serve Paul. You take Philip who was being used by God to reach great multitudes in Samaria, but was willing to go down a deserted road to lead an Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. A servant of Christ is not out to make a name for themselves. They're available to serve wherever God wants them to serve. And they're also willing to sacrifice anything. Timothy had given up his own interest to become a servant of Christ. Epaphroditus almost lost his life serving the Lord. And to the Ephesian elders, Paul said this of his own ministry, Acts 20, verse 24, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Lord, I gave you my life. When you give your life to Christ, you ask God to forgive you. You receive him. You commit your life. You're saying, Lord, here's my life. You have it all. Everything I own, all my time, wherever you want to send me, I'm available. Don't make any stipulations on it. Always be where God wants you to be. Today, some of you need to receive Christ. You need to give your life to him. Some of you need a church. For those of you who are watching online, I'm grateful we're able to do that, but can I share something with you? I understand some of you cannot come. You have physical problems. You have limitations. Sometimes you're sick. Sometimes you're out of town. I understand that. But some of you don't realize that by your presence here today, because you could come, you just didn't. Your presence would mean so much to other people. Just listening all the time is a wonderful thing, but does it really help further the ministries of the kingdom through Southcrest? I'm just asking you to think about it. You see, your service to the Lord 
is simple. Serve other people. Do you get that? You want to do what God wants you to do? Serve other people. Let's pray. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. 